Father, we thank you for another day to hear your voice and sing songs of worship to you, to be with your people in this place, and think about what it means to follow you, Jesus. And so at the outset, we ask, Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would lead us and guide us into truth. You would be our wisdom. You'd be our counselor. You'd be our comforter. Whatever it is that we need, Spirit of God, come and provide those things as we focus today on who you are and what you said. We're asking you to guide us and lead us into truth. And so open our eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing, Jesus. And, and we say before we even listen, we want to follow and obey things that are right and true. So help us, Holy Spirit of God, to see those in your name. And 26 West says, amen. amen. Okay, so this week was really cool. We have uh, my wife and I and our kids. We have a dog, Daisy. She's a little mutt, short little thing. And um, we haven't had another dog in the house, but a friend went on vacation and asked us to dog sit. So it was just cool because both dogs, our dog, Daisy, and then Elsie, their dog, uh, were about the same height and weight. So we didn't bring like ferocious, like, you know, our little dog. And so we thought this is going to be all right. And we went for a walk. So We've got Elsie in the house for about an hour. Let's go for a walk. Our dog, Daisy, doesn't walk. She sniffs. I don't know if you have a dog like that. So two-step sniff, repeat. Two-step sniff, repeat. So to get exercise, we take the dog on a walk, then go on a walk. Because we didn't, we didn't go anywhere. Just, you know, like that. And so Elsie, same height, same weight, walks on a walk. So this is, this is really weird. Like, she just beelines and she's just walking away. And Daisy's sniffing and then sees Elsie going away. And so she runs up to Elsie and then she's running along. And then, and then Elsie stops and then Daisy sniffs. And Elsie starts taking off. And, and then by the end of it, like our dog actually got cardio. Because it was, because for the first time, we've had this dog for three years. For the first time, Daisy walked on a walk. And it was really because she didn't know any better. But Elsie, that competitive spirit, so that was, that was like, so we want to do it again. So we went on a walk later in the evening. And then as soon as we opened the door, door, Daisy gets jetting out there to get in front of Elsie to lead on the walk. So I don't know, that the, the, I don't know what it is within them, but both dogs are huffing and puffing, which was cool, except Elsie went back on Thursday. And we're like, uh-oh, which dog are we going to get back? Like, is Daisy going to now sniff? So I'm like, oh, come on, Lord, help us out. So out, we take Daisy on a walk, and she's just do, 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 do. And our dog learned in four days how to walk <laughs> on a walk. Now, it's cool because it cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. Because Elsie, uh, the, you know, the parents, the family told us, well, Elsie's not going to eat. Because if mom's not there, even if the kids are there or the husband's there, if mom's not in the room, Elsie won't eat. It's like... We know she's got enough girth. She'll make it four days. Just give her water. She's not going to eat for you. And the kid says, she's not eating. Until Daisy walks in. First day that we're there. Daisy, like, she doesn't eat. She hoofs. Like, <laughs> she's just like, as if we don't feed her. She just gobbles it up. Elsie, looking at Daisy eat, goes and just starts eating. And, and by the end of it, she's a competitive eater. So we got a dog who walks, and we sent home with Elsie, who eats four days. I don't know about your week, but our week was amazing. <laughs> Follow me. We're in week two of a series called Follow Me. We're trying to discover what it is to walk, what it is to eat. We're trying to discover what it means, you and I, whether you're new to church or you've been going your whole life, to actually follow Jesus. And if you were here last week, we recognize that Jesus called us to be his disciples. And that word simply means to apprentice. Uh, what is an apprentice? An apprentice is with Jesus. So the number one goal for God in your life is that you would have a real authentic relationship with Jesus. And then uh, a, a disciple is not only with Jesus, but a disciple is growing in Jesus, learning. And so Jesus takes followers and he teaches them and he grows them and he shapes them. But it's not just about being with Jesus and learning from Jesus. It's living like Jesus. 
And so in the end, by if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a few people are with Jesus and they learn from him. And then Jesus dies, rises again, goes to the Father, and this group is living like him. Now other people can be with Jesus and live like Jesus and follow Jesus because they've seen it lived out in other people. So what we're trying to do in this series is to get ourselves grounded. Three words we looked at last week. We have a podcast, video, and audio if you'd like. Three words, relationship, growth, and change. I want you to say it with me. Relationship, growth, and change. Okay, you rebellious people. Relationship, <laughs> growth, and change. Those three words encapsulate what it means to be with Jesus, its relationship. What it means to learn from Jesus spiritual growth, and what it means to live like Jesus, that will require change. And so the question is, how do I take steps towards that, really? It's nice concept, but what do I do to be with Jesus and, and learn from Jesus and live like him? I put together a little book. It was given to people who decided to take some sort of step at the Good News Today event a couple of weeks ago. But I want to give it to every one of you because it's seven chapters. Last week we covered chapter one. And if you weren't here, no worries. You could pick up a copy of it. We have it on the welcome table, free of charge. All I ask is that you come having read the next chapter before you come. Okay, so last week we did chapter one. This week, if you got it last week, we're going to do chapter two. Now, it's not an excuse not to show up because I'm actually saying nothing from the chapter. I have a little more creative content than that, okay? The chapter is like a base level to get you thinking, and then we'll build on it. So it's not like either or, it's both and. Pick up a copy. I'd love for you to read it. And I did seven chapters, and they're not in like the best order. It's just how my mind thinks. Uh, it's not the only things in following Jesus. There's a lot more to it. And I just want to get us grounded. And what we're going to do today is look at chapter two, which is about following Jesus together and the importance of church. No worries if you didn't read chapter two. You can read it when you get home. Uh, we'll pick up where we left off. It was 1 Timothy, a letter that a leader wrote to a younger leader. 1 Timothy 4. We'll start in verse 7. This is recap. We read this last week. This is, again, a mature, seasoned leader in the faith to a young pastor, a young leader in the faith. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For, and then he gives an example, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So he gives an analogy about training. If you want to live a godly life, it has even more value than working out. Because choosing to follow Jesus and having Jesus lead you and guide you will not only help you in this life, but in the life to come. We talked about that last week. Training, train your life to be godly. Uh, you could translate it this way. The word train is the word gymnazo in Greek, which is the word that we get, gymnasium. You could say, Timothy, gym your life. He's already a follower of Jesus and a leader, but still there's room in his life to grow. So I'm saying to some of you, you say, Jose, this, I don't know if I need this, these basics. Wait a minute. To a leader in the church, another leader says, don't forget the fundamentals, and it's possible in life. Having family, raising kids, jobs, stress, to lose some of the fundamentals. So the word for the series is you can gym your life. Following Jesus is a gift. It's by grace. God gives us the gift of eternal life. It's through faith. We receive him, and Jesus says the old is gone, the new has come. You've crossed from death to life. Now you can live a whole new way. The question is, Will you live the new way? He gives you the gift, but growth is not automatic. So those three words, relationship, growth, and what? Change. They're not automatic. It's possible to receive God's love by grace and stay there. Never develop. Never be useful. But that's not God's will. So one leader to another, gym your life. Now, okay, that's one thing to say it. How do we do it? 
Today, in the next five weeks, we're going to look at actual steps that you could take. Let's assume you joined a gym and you walked in and you've never seen the equipment, right? It's new to you. Uh, you, what you could do is you could do like many. You just go and you watch other people doing, <laughs> you know, you do all your stuff. And it's not very productive because like, dude, you don't even know what you're doing. You're using it wrong. And that was meant for babies, not for you, you know. Or you can, you can ask and, and ask the, the pros that are in that gym and say, hey, what would be the best routine to get the best result for what I'm trying to do? That's what this series is hope, hopefully going to do for all of us. How does this look like in the real world? Just jump down in 1 Timothy 4 to verse 11. It gives us some basics. Remember, this is one leader to a younger leader. Command and teach these things, he says. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but underline this, set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, and in faith, and in purity. And until I come, here's another underline, devote, you can underline that word, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching and preaching. Underline this one. Do not neglect your gift. You can underline that one. Don't neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Here's another one underlined. Be diligent in these matters. Underline this one. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Another one. Watch your life and teaching or doctrine closely. And underline this last word. Persevere in them. Break a sweat. You know, if you would go to the gym and, you know, you, you get started and you do a, a few reps and then all of a sudden like, you start breaking out of sweat and you stop and you towel off and, and you go back to the shower like, ooh, well, I didn't want to, I don't want to, you know, get dirty. I don't want to like break a sweat. Would that not be weird? The purpose of the gym is that you would stretch yourself. Why? In the end, you may sweat now and may feel uncomfortable now, but when you wake up in the morning and you're feeling achy, you're like, it's a good pain. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a good pain because you know that your body has been stretched. That's what he says about your faith. Persevere in all these things because if you do, here's what's the result. You're going to save yourself and your hearers. In other words, you gymming your life is not just about you. You're an influencer, which is why we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy, this whole letter. After the series, we're going to look at 1 Timothy because we want to grow as disciples to Jesus. And then we want to grow as leaders in his community. And this letter is all about how to grow as a leader. And then that's going to set us up for January. We're going to look at the life of Daniel who is a great example of a godly man, a godly influence in an ungodly environment. And then from that, we're going to look towards to Revelation in the middle of next year, 2019, towards the end of next year, because godliness is helpful now, he says, in the present day and in the age to come. And we want to spend a lot of the tail end of next year looking at where God's taking this world, where God's taking us, where we're going in the future, and how my choices now really matter. They really matter, not just to me, but to the people who hear me. So that's kind of where we're heading. How do I grow? Okay, so let's look at it. We grow best together. Everything Paul tells this young leader to do is a command. Everything I said to underline. Set an example, devote yourself, don't neglect, be diligent, give yourself holy, watch your life, persevere. They're not suggestions. And like a coach, he comes along, this young leader says, you want to make a difference? I'm telling you, do these things. There are things that you can do. Now you say, Jose, am I supposed to devote myself to the public reading of Scripture? I'm an accountant. That's, that's not my calling. Well, in a letter, some things aren't going to fully apply to you. So that you're reading a real letter. But all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting, training people in the right way of living so that we can grow up and be mature, not lacking anything. By the way, that was a quote from 1 Timothy. And, and what we want to do is, you may not be called to public reading like he was. He was a pastor. No one had Bibles. You didn't own one. You couldn't afford it. 
So they needed someone to literally stand in the group and read the word of God. That was his calling. You have yours. But the point is, don't miss out on the things God has for you. And by the way, all the things God has for you are together things. He doesn't say, Paul, uh, Timothy, do this by yourself. All of them are in the group of others. So he says, the group needs to learn and share, command and teach. The group needs a model on how to live out the Jesus way. Timothy, model it in your life, not in what you just say. Live it out. Uh, the, the group needs to learn to express their giftedness. By the way, we learn when we see good modeling. So some of you, there are a few of you probably here today, who say, one day I would like to do what you're doing, Jose. Well, the best thing you could do is get good models and watch and learn and grow and try and go for it. And can I say the same thing for all of you? You have things that God's placed in your soul that you're passionate about, you're good at, you're excited, it wakes you up in the morning, and may have to do with the Bible or not, irrelevant. If you choose to follow Jesus and live this kind of lifestyle and set a good example, you can be raising up other people who may be younger than you, like in age or in experience or in amount of time following Jesus, you're called to be an influencer, which is why we're going to study this letter. You're an influencer. And so in your walk of life, what would it look like if you recognize in my following Jesus, I can help people use their gifts? The reason I'm standing here is because I had good models who helped me see what it means to teach the word of God. And now I'm having my opportunity and my eyes are on people in this community and others outside of our community who have the same calling. You can do the same thing in your sphere of influence. You can grow. We should grow. We'll grow together. So he says, be diligent and persevere. In other words, don't quit when it gets tough. Now, all of this, how does God shape us to live more like him? That's the question. How does God shape us? He does it through the church. Now, I say the word church, and now you made it here, so some of this isn't for you because you're actually here. But I think we have all sorts of ideas about church. Some of them are helpful. Some are not. Some are true. Some are actually off that we got because of a negative experience or someone didn't tell us yet. So some of this is going to be base level. What does God do through the church. I think it's one of the most important tools. If I'm your exercise coach and I want to grow you in better health, I'm going to be looking for tools. And God uses this tool called the church to shape us to relationship and to growth and to change. And some of us forget that church is valuable. Well, what do you mean it's valuable? Do you know the whole New Testament was written not for you? It actually wasn't written for you alone. It was written for the church. It was written for God's people. So the very fact, if you have a Bible and read it, it's never just about me. It's about what God is doing in all of us. So the Gospels are written so that we would know who Jesus is. And then the Acts were written because it was the activity of the church. And then after Acts, you have 1 Corinthians and Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and the rest. They're letters to guess what? mostly to churches. There's a few. First Timothy, Second Timothy is written to Timothy. Then to Titus and a letter to Philemon. But every one of those people were active in what? A local church. So the whole Bible is not shaped as your manual on how to live your life. It's always been shaped on how we live the Jesus life. So why... Why commit to a local church, which is going to sound self-serving? I'll, I'll just get it out there, Jose. So you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me, you're like paid by the church. You're going to tell me that church is important. Isn't that self-serving? I just want you to hear to the end, and then you make your judgment on it. Why church? Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus asked his disciples, getting close to the end of his life, who do people think that I am? People didn't know who Jesus really was. Most people thought he was just some sort of rabbi. So he says, who do people say that I am? And some say, well, you're John the Baptist reincarnated because John the Baptist had been murdered by this stage. And others say that you're Elijah the prophet, 
which they were expecting God to send another prophet like Elijah who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And others just say, like, you're a prophet, you're a spokesman. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And look at, look at Matthew 16, if you have your Bible. If not, we'll put it on the screen. Simon Peter, one of the 12, said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, whoa, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, what you're getting, you just didn't come up with. The Father has given this. People don't know who Jesus really is. Now, why the local church? Partly Jesus is going to address that. I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, not the rock of Peter, but the rock of what Peter received, on this truth, this foundational truth, that Jesus is not just a guy, but he's God's Messiah and the Savior of the world. Based on that truth, I'm going to build what? My church. Say it with me, my church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, or their opposing forces, will not overcome it. And then he gives this weird phrase. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's mysterious language to us. I'll try to explain simply. Here's what you need to know. Write this down. The church belongs to Jesus. You say, why why be involved in a local church? The church belongs to Jesus. This is not some peripheral thing. It's not a tack on. It's not like if you're going to get a new car, do you add the accessories or the bonus features? Am I going to add church to my life? What, what Jesus says, in order for the world to know that he's the Savior, I'm going to build my people and nothing will oppose it. They will overcome it. How? My people will know me, relationship. My people will be taught. They'll grow in me. My people will live like me. And when they do, not only will no opposing force win, But what's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. The authority, Jesus had the Father's authority. And so he could speak to the deaf man, and the deaf man can hear. Jesus raised the dead. There's nothing impossible with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, my people together are going to have my authority. So whatever I want to do is going to happen on earth as it already is in heaven. My people together are not just some club, but the work that God wants to do in the world, he's going to do, hear me, not through you, through us. So it's not Jesus and me, it's Jesus and we. And friend, we need to get this. It is never just Jesus and me. Like I have my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I do too. And you do, I hope, as well. But that's not where it ends. That's the invitation to really know the living God. And then Jesus and we. I will build my individuals. No, I'll build my church. And my gathered people of followers from around the world, they're going to push my agenda, says Jesus, forward even after I leave. So I think you have some sort of view of the church. It's called low church and high church. Some of you have a very high view of the church, a great respect for it. Uh, if the church teaches something, you take it seriously. If the church does something, you get involved. You have a high view of church, you have respect for church. Uh, and that is depleting. And I'm a church history nerd, so there's cycles throughout the history of humanity since Jesus rose from the grave. And there's been periods where, where there's been a high view of church, almost to the point where, like, um, church is God, you know. And if you disagree with anyone from the church, like you're disagreeing with God, that's probably too high. But then it swings down, and people say, it can't be right, and it goes to a low view of church. I think in our culture right now, we're living in a season of a very low view of church. Partly, it's because of the wounds, like, Uh, we've been personally hurt or disappointed or discouraged or you've seen infighting or hypocrisy and and, and then then, then 
the truth comes out. I mean, the headlines today and all of the abuse of young, innocent kids, and it doesn't just happen in the Catholic tradition. It happens in the Protestant tradition. It happens in the Orthodox tradition. Uh, there's evil going on everywhere, and sometimes the church gets it right, and sometimes the church gets it wrong, and the church is a messy place. I want you to think of the metaphor, gym your life. Uh, do you see someone at their best in the gym, right? We see them in their big pumps and their perfect dress and their nails all done. Or when you're in the gym, is it a little messy? Hopefully there's some sweat. Hopefully there's some effort. And church is the gym. And in the gym, it's the real you and you're trying. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. And the reason church is messy, let's be blunt, is because we're messy. So we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes in the church, it's not perfect. And we're going to get to that because God leaves us these pictures of what the church is like. I'm going to look at just three. There are more. Three Bible pictures of what church is. And I want to invite you to have a higher view than you have right now of the local church. I think that most of us, our view is that it's just a thing. I'm going to suggest to you it's the thing. The church is the primary means by which God is going to bring you in a closer relationship. He's going to grow you and he's going to transform your life and you're going to change. And if you buck God's plan, I'm not saying mine. I'm not saying coming to 26 West Church is going to revolutionize your life. I'm saying what God's doing in his people, if we don't take it seriously, we may miss on the very blessing that God has for us. Three pictures. The first is a family. What is church? Some of us think, you know, buildings. I thank God we, live, we, we, we worship in an event center. I, I don't know what was here. Maybe, John, you know what was here last night. But regularly, there are people getting drunk in this room on a Saturday night. You just need to know it straight up. Because this is an event center, and there are parties here. There's weddings, quinceañeras. There's bingo here. There's, there's uh, Nike corporate events. There's Intel events. There's all sorts of things that happen in this room. And I think it's actually quite helpful uh, because church isn't a building. The church meets in a building. Jesus said he, he's not going to build his cathedral. He said he's going to build his people. The word church is the word ecclesia, and it's the called out, gathered group together. We are, that people, happen to be meeting in an amazing event center. And I love the fact there's, there's, no, there's no steeple on it, no stained glass, because sometimes people can miss the metaphor. Nothing wrong with having your own building. Nothing wrong with stained glass. But the metaphor here is a family. And when you walk into a building that's religious, you don't necessarily get family. You just get Oh, wow, that's nice. What's the primary term used for Jesus followers in the Bible? In the New Testament, it's brothers and sisters. And I didn't even, I'm not even going to put a verse up on the screen because it'll take me 30 minutes to go through them all. Brothers and sisters. Most of the New Testament letters are written, dear brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. We are the family of God with God as our Father. So the church is the new thing. You say, my family's messed up. Don't bring up mom, dad, brother, sister. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's your situation. But please don't let your experience taint the beautiful picture. God has rescued you from your family and brought you into his family. And here God is the father and God always does what's right and good. And God is loving and he's kind and he's patient and he's merciful and he tells the truth. All of it. And so we've been brought in, and now I'm a part of the brother-sister relationship. We're not co-workers. We're not teammates. We're not, we're not friends, although we are friends, I hope. We are deeper than that. You're my brother if you're following Jesus. You're my sister if you're following Jesus. And that's the first beautiful metaphor. The second one is similar in its makeup. It's body. You see, Jesus is the head, and we're the parts. So there's a head and there's a connected body. So what part of me is me? Is the eye me? Is my mouth me? Is my leg me? Is my spleen me? What is me? Well, that's a complicated question. You're right. So what is church? Is church you? Well, yeah, but not just you. Church is the we. It's the people together, all connected to Christ who's the head. Where do you get that? Ephesians 4 
11. So Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, gave himself, himself, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors to equip his people. Some people ask me, you know, how many people go to your church? I'm like, I don't have one. I don't have a church. I'm like, you're not mine. You belong to Jesus. Church is his idea. So I can tell you how many people go to 26 West, but it's not my church. We just slip into these ruts, right? Uh, he gave them to equip his people for works of service so that the body, there's the analogy, of Christ may be built up. And here's a weird paradox. You're in the body, but there's room to grow. If you're in Jesus, you are connected to him. Is Jesus perfect? It was not a trick question. Like, I don't know. Uh, Jesus is perfect. Yes. So in one sense, I am perfect. In that, I am connected to Jesus who is perfect. And so he covers my multitude of sins. And my shame is gone because I belong to him. But am I perfect? No. Not yet. Right. That's when we get into Revelation and we look into God's future. So I am perfect, but I'm being made perfect. I am healthy, but I'm growing in health. I'm alive, but I'm growing in life. And that's the metaphor. The reason I need the church, hear me, the reason you and I need the church is it is the life-giving connection that is going to lead to my growth. So let me just give you a disgusting metaphor. You go to your house and someone left an arm on your couch. Just an arm. I hope to mess you up. I hope when you go home and see your couch, you see it in a new way. Because the metaphor will stick. So someone goes, and, and there's the arm. There it is on your couch. Would you say that's beautiful? I don't care how buff this arm is. An arm on your couch, you're calling 911, and you're finding out who done it. And hopefully there's no pictures of you doing it. And, and, and it's disgusting because an arm makes sense connected to the body. And you say, what does it have to do with church? Everything. I am connected to Jesus and his people. So hear me, and we'll turn up the heat here in a minute. I'm going to ease you there. We have no right to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I don't want the local church. We don't have a right to that. And I'm going to lovingly tell you why. It's because you have been grafted into God's body that Jesus is leading, and to say to Jesus, I want to be a life-giving arm that sits on a couch by itself, makes no metaphorical sense. And so we need to rethink our view of church. Let me give you the third one, and then, then we'll, we'll turn, I feel like we're getting warm, but we'll turn the heat up. Priesthood. The, the third picture is priesthood, and that's very weird, especially in the headlines today. When I say priest, don't think Catholic or Orthodox or Lutheran or whatever, and don't think robes and collars, and don't think celibate. The priesthood was the community that served in God's space to invite God's people in. So we invite people into God's presence. Part of your role, and the reason the church is so important, is you were created to invite other people to know God themselves. And that was the role of the priest. So in the first century, when Peter is thinking about Jesus, he's living in a land where in order to worship, you would go to temple, whether it was pagan, whether it was the Jewish temple, or it became the Christian meeting house. You went to a place to worship. And so in light of Jesus, his understanding of what God's doing is, it's grown. And look what he writes, 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. As, as you come to him... The living, capital S, stone. That's Jesus. So he's giving a metaphor of a building with a huge stone. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living, lowercase, stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is just too much for today. I want to give you the brief picture because people would go to meet God in a building. He's saying, in light of Jesus, it's no longer a building. Jesus is the living foundation. And you and I are connected like living stones. We're just like Jesus in that together, 
It's the place where God's presence dwells. So why local church? Why get engaged in the local church? Because when we come together to worship God, something really happens. Now, often you go home and you feel like nothing happened. But it could be your perception. I need you to know this. Every time we gather in Jesus' name, Jesus is doing stuff in the minds and hearts of people in this space that is transformational. Here's the thing is, you don't see it. When someone's in the gym just doing their reps or running their treadmill or doing their workout, you don't see the health that they're building up. You don't see them when they get home and how they feel stronger and better and they're more productive. But it's happening, and it's happening at the gym. So the church is important because it's the place where God's, we say, well, I can meet with God in my house. Absolutely. I'll get to that in a second. But it's the togetherness. Christ and the stones together build a house where we become a royal priesthood. And what's that about? The priest's job was to invite people and welcome people to worship God. So as we live out our faith together, you know what happens? Together, people who come in and are seeking and looking get a chance to see what it means to follow Jesus and, and how I can too. You see, when we get it right, church becomes the place where other people who may feel far from God feel welcome. They may feel like they don't belong, feel like they do. May feel like, well, I'll never get it. I don't understand it actually learn and grow, not because they hear some message from some guy on a stage, but as people get to know you and see your relationship and your growth and your change, it becomes the biggest signpost. The priest was supposed to be a sign pointing people to God. And now, in light of Jesus, it's not a building, it's everyone living as priests. I know that's a foreign picture and concept, but in the best sense of the word, that's who we are. Now together, we're, we're going to be built up into the place where God's presence dwells. So now let's get to the hard stuff. Why commit to a local church? Because everything is like, most people are going to agree with everything I just said. Uh, there's the capital C, church, and there's the lowercase c. So if you belong to Jesus, you're in the family of God, capital C. If you belong to Jesus, you are a brother and sister, and you're also a priest, capital C. If you belong to Jesus, you're also part of the body, capital C. But I think some of us have believed that, but have said, well, um, I'm not a part of a local C. I'm just a part of the big C. And I'm going to tell you why that analogy breaks down. It's exactly like the gym. I have a gym membership. It's nationwide. So where do you go to the gym? Well, I don't go to the gym. I don't go to the gym. Why? I, I'm a part of the gym. I'm part of LA Fitness or whatever big national chain there is. But I, so what gym do you go to? No, I, I don't go to the gym. I just belong to the gym. Do you realize how that makes no sense? In order to actually live out your calling in the big C requires the little C. It's by its very nature mandatory, and I use that word intentionally, that you're connected with a real group of people. Why? Those three words. Relationship, growth, and change. It happens when we're serving together, which means church is more than a club. We're not Costco. We don't give out dogs that will probably give you diseases, hot dogs that is. We don't, we don't pay dues to get benefits. This is not like if I do my part, I'll get a discount on a little bit of Jesus stuff or a little bit of spirituality. This is not how this works. We're not a time slot in an event. The church is not 9 or 11. It's actually 24-7. You are the church. We are the people. We're growing in relationship. We're growing in our spiritual understanding. And we're changing. We're learning to live more like Jesus. And, and church is more than a teacher and a band. The two biggest reasons people choose a church is who's speaking and who's doing music. That's the two. And... And that's okay as a start. If that got you here, that's killer. But you just need to know, church by its nature isn't perfect. It's, it's messy. And so you say, Jose, well, I don't know if I want to be a part of this church or that church because it's complicated and it's hard. Yeah, it's like the gym. 
It's it's the place where we go and we connect because we grow with other people. So I have to answer just, and bear with me, this is going to be tough for some to swallow, but I need to say it, partly for my friends listening or watching my podcast who aren't here, people have chosen to check out of church in an alarming rate, and I want to address it, and I just want you to hear me out to the end, and then make your judgment on what I, what I said is true and helpful, and let's dialogue. And if any of you want to meet with me and talk with me in person, I'm not going to go with you back and forth by email for 15 days, but if you want to sit down and have an honest discussion, then I encourage you, answer these questions. People say, I don't need the local church. I have a group of people that I'm doing life with. That's my little C. It's not a, it's not a functioning church. It's just you know, my, my group of people. And I would say that is part of the little C. So we have what's called 26 West Communities that are smaller groups of people, men and women, 10, 12, 15, 20, that choose to do life together. That is life-giving and valuable. But there are people who say, well, I don't need the structure. I'm just going to, me and Jesus and a few friends are going to figure it out. Um, Let me just ask a few questions to address if that's going to be life-giving. First question with that kind of mindset is who's at the center? If Jesus, in the metaphors, if God is our father with real kids, and if we're a body with Jesus, the real head, for any group of people to simply say, we're not going to exercise our gifts with the larger group. We're going to withhold our resources, our time, our expertise, our wisdom, our service, our love, our energy, we're not going to give it to the whole group. We're only going to give it to a few people. Do you realize at the, cent- at the center of your discipleship to Jesus, you've replaced Jesus with yourself? Now, you can talk smack all you want about how you didn't do it, but that's exactly what you did because Jesus said he's going to build up his church No gate in hell is going to stop it, and it's going to be the life-giving force. And if you say, I'm disconnecting with God's body, and I'm going to pick my own, you haven't made Jesus central. You've made yourself central. All I'm saying is you're going to have to live with those repercussions. You can do that, but you'll live with that. Second, who's included in your group? This is my favorite because, well, when I make myself central, I pick my group of people. And if you want to come into my group, you actually have to be chosen or selected by who? Me. Everyone's not welcome. Well, you said, well, that's, I can't have relationships with everyone, so I'll just choose a few. Well, who gets to be in your group? This, this is, uh, people are leaving the church in alarming rates, but here's the challenge. God knows, like if you went to a physical trainer, the physical trainer probably knows what type of apparatuses, exercise, rhythms are going to be life-giving for you. Now, in this case, supremely greater. Jesus knows the people who are going to build character into your life. Can I just say to you from my own experience, most of the time, it's not people I would have chosen. God uses the people I would have never chosen to be his means of grace in my life. And the very people I would avoid are the very people God is using to give me spiritual strength. So the moment you choose to leave the church, number one, you're saying you're sensual. Number two, you're saying you know who God needs to shape you. And that is very, very dangerous. Another dimension of that is what you probably don't realize is you're going to pick people who are going to appease you. You're not going to pick people who are going to get in your face. You're not going to pick people who are going to be objective. You're going to pick people who choose the lifestyle that you're going to choose for yourself. And they're going to validate your own sinfulness in the end. I'm saying this as a pastor with experience. I've watched people go off the deep end and their behavior. And you trace it back to having people around them who excuse their behavior and validate their behavior. And so the behavior gets out of control. And you see, see, church didn't work. And then guess what? Jesus didn't work. And they abandoned the faith, and the Bible calls it shipwrecked. Watch out for these brothers who have shipwrecked their faith. And it can happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't have to. All right, last question. So who's the center? 
Who gets to choose? And this is a tough one. Who's teaching? If you leave the local church, you leave the balance. You see, everything that happens in the local church is evaluated by multiple voices. And even though you may not agree with all the voices, there's a multiple voice dynamic helping to shape what you're living and learning. And when you choose to go your own way, you know what? You're going to pick your favorite teacher. Guess what? Your favorite teacher is not necessarily going to get in your face because you'll just stop their podcast and pick one that you like. And so we need multiple voices. If you read church history, and I dare you to do it, I just dare you, to read honest, objective church history, most groups that splinter off from church because they've been hurt or they didn't agree with it end up becoming cultic. Cultic in that it centers around one person or one family. They drive everything. Cultic in that they take something that's true and pull it out of context. Everything's about generosity. Everything's about justice. Everything's about the poor. Everything's about worship. They take all of it and they get out of shape. Why? They were never meant to do everything. They took one arm and put it on a couch. And it becomes rotten. We need the whole body. So as a church, we're just one expression. So let's get to some very specific questions. What about leaving a church? Like, is it okay? You say, okay, you got to be a part of little C to be a part of the big C. Well, there's nothing wrong. There are times where we leave a church. If you move, duh. You, you go to another church. Um, if your family relationships, your sphere of influences is a part of another church body, it's okay to leave a good, healthy local church and go where your other relationships already lie because that can help you grow in relationship to Jesus. Uh, they're no longer teaching from the Bible. It's all becoming about one personality or one thing. There are honest reasons why we leave a church, but here's what we don't do. We don't leave C, period. We don't just say, I'm going to do this on my own. Or I'm going to pick a few friends. It's not healthy. And so as a friend, I'm telling you, your teaching will go off. Your, watch your life, Timothy, and your doctrine. And the way that we do that is together. Everything I say every week is tested I email this to 13 or 14 people who can get in my grill and say that's wrong or that's unclear or that's not helpful. Every single week, what you get has already run through a filter of a variety of people that are not all on staff and they don't report to me. But we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you don't have that in your world, my friend, so here's what I need you to do. Every one of us, either we're in a sphere of influence, we're saying, I'm ready to leave the church. Can I just encourage you, listen or watch this again with a calm demeanor? Because I, I know I've just thrown some fuel on the fire. So listen one more time with your beverage of choice and, 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 and read the scriptures and tell me where I need to be corrected and I'm honest. If, if, you're, if I'm off on this, let's talk about it. And I would love to hear from you. But I'm not off. <laughs> I'm just telling you I'm not. I'm not. But I, I'm willing to listen because I've seen this played out. But secondly, here's what I'm asking you to do. You have some people who love Jesus but have fallen out of love with the church. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to be the body and go to them. And lovingly find a way to call him back. Not, you got to listen to a podcast, man. It's going to get in your face. I want you to lovingly spend time with some people and remind them of the three visuals. You're a part of the family. You're part of a body. And you're a priesthood. And you know what? We need you. I need you. And I know a bunch of other people that need you. Will you come? and reconnect, please, will be better and you'll be better. So can you do that this week? All right, driving question, and we're gonna respond in worship. What do you need to do to reorient or reprioritize your life to go to the gym? Can I just tell you, it's never gonna be convenient. <laughs> like going to the real gym is never gonna be convenient. You're gonna have to cut something to make time for. You're going to have to reprioritize your morning, your evening. 
And I'm not talking about your like physical gym. I'm talking about church. What are you going to have to do to reprioritize? This is where the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, if you're honest, will tell you, Jose, too much of this. It's not good. Cut some of that out. Or, Jose, if you just shifted here to here and this to that, you would have more margin for my people. And church works when we all make it a priority and not a little secondary thing if I have time. An alarming fact, the average American will go to church twice a month. I say, well, shoot, I only go once. They got me beat. Um, and, and that has continued to decline. And there's lots of reasons for it. I'm not a legalist. If this is not life-giving, stop coming. Go somewhere else. That's fine. Go somewhere else, though, if we're not the fit for you. But can I just say, what, what's happened is we've been so enamored by entertainment. We've said camping, hiking, watching a game is more valuable than investing in other Jesus followers. That's what we said. No, 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 but I need to be there. Actually, you don't. Well, my kids need to be there. Actually, if your kids learn that being with Jesus is more important than sports, maybe they'll fall in love with Jesus. We need to reprioritize our lives around the things that are most important so that we can have relationship and growth and change. Not being legalistic. Now, if that's touching and alarming, ask the Holy Spirit, what do you need to change to be a part of the gym? Why don't you stand? And let's invite the Holy Spirit to get answer those prayers. Holy Spirit of God, we confess we have made your family, your body, your house a lower priority than you would have for us. We confess it. We're not even playing games, Lord. We confess that it's not become central and life-giving. It's not become the most important thing. It's become a secondary, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, twentieth. For some, it's not even on the radar. We repent of that mindset. We turn from that mindset, not so that you'll be more impressed with us, but God, we want to grow in relationship. We want to actually grow in what we know of you, and we want to change. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you to help us have the power to make the hard choices that will create margin for you and your people in our life. Do it, Lord. 